NiceCo is hand-inked in Cleveland, Ohio. Contact them at NiceCoprints.com for all your screen printing needs. From shirts to masks, NiceCo believes there's no better billboard for your business than the space across your chest. Visit NiceCoprints.com. That's N-Y-C-E-C-O-P-R-I-N-T-S dot com and enter the promo code BRUTEN for 10% off your next purchase. And then go follow them on Instagram at NiceCo. Calm, balanced, delight. Your CBD on the go. At Delight Cafe, our water-soluble hemp extract powder drink packets provide a consistent dose of CBD on your time. Quickly find your calm, balance, and delight when you need it most. This is a THC-free, odorless, tasteless, and colorless organic CBD supplement. Go to delightcafe.com and enter the promo code BRUTEN for 30% off your next purchase. Make sure you follow them on Instagram at Delight Cafe. Welcome to another episode of Friday Late Show. On this episode of Friday Late Show, I have a very good friend of mine, like everybody else on the show, uh, Steve Guy. I've known Steve Guy since I started comedy. Uh, he used to run an open mic um called the uh, Euclid Tavern, if I remember correctly. And uh, throughout the years, we've both grown our careers, and now he runs the Cleveland Comedy Festival. So it's always good to talk to guys who organize festivals because they see a lot of tapes and have a lot of stories about bombs because the comedy you have to experience. So it's good to catch up with them and to get his perspective on certain shows. I hope you enjoy the show like I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. this episode of Friday Late Show, very good friend of mine, Mr. Steve Guy. Hey, what's up? so calm, happy to be here. Calm down, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've known you since I started comedy. Uh, that's why I was pretty much like, I was happy to have you on tonight. Because um, yeah. I remember when I first started, uh, Yusuf Ali was the only guy I saw really doing every open mic. So I asked him what open mics to go to. We kept meeting at the same open mic. So I asked him what's some other mics to go to. And he uh, told me to hit you up. And I called the Euclid Tavern earlier that day. And he said, you got to call back later when Steve gets here. I said, I don't even know who Steve is, but okay. And then I called back again. He said, come on down. And it was like, I think two weeks later or a week later. And it was the coolest room in the world at that point to go in there. It's like, damn, I, this uh, is... I, I remember... Uh, I remember this. I remember going to the Euclid Tavern and uh, on, I used to do it on, on Thursdays. We do the, the open mic there. And uh, did you talk to a woman? Was that what it was you called during the day? Yeah. Or did you call? Yeah. Yeah. So she was like the manager, like she ran the whole place and uh, I got there and she was like, some guy called for you. And I think she wrote John John down. She wrote your name down. And she's like, I don't know. His name's John. He's, he wants to do comedy, I guess. She's like, I told him to call back when you're here. She's like, I wasn't sure if you want me to give him your number. So I just told him to call back here. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. That works. And 
uh, and then yeah, and then you called me <laughs> I was there. <laughs> it was it was so weird to be at the time and be like, why why am I getting phone calls <laughs> at this bar? <laughs> no, because that's what I guess that's what the uh, the point on to talk to you on the internet was like to call this number if you wanted like the, I was told to call Euclid Tavern to get on stage like that's the only reason I did it I, don't, I didn't think that I had to really because I was already so started funny. I did one show with Ramon where you had to email him but yeah. you were the ones like okay call him alright I'll call somebody ahead of time yeah, I had an email set up, which is I think how most people did it. But I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess I should uh, give people my number so they're not <laughs> calling this bar because she was. I know that it was very skeptical of comedy being there at the beginning, and uh, so then for her to start getting phone calls about comedy, <laughs> I just remember her being like, why the fuck am I getting all these calls? <laughs> Quit having your people call here. Like you're some big shot. And I'm like, that's you know, it felt like being my secretary. <laughs> I thought it was cool like that. I thought, oh damn, Steve got the room taking the calls for him. Oh shit. Okay, I see how you do it. That's that's a way to do it. You can't fuck that up. They doing it. They already booking it. Cause it was the only show um at the time with a real stage. Everything else yeah. was in the bar dance floor around that. And when I was starting at that level, you know, when you first start off, you're doing the shittiest rooms. You just happy to get a mic in your hand. So I remember doing the, that room. I'm like, damn, it's just fun. Then every night, it's like the only room with a stage. It was the only room you can get caught up. And you, <laughs> just, I think the stage moved. It moved from one side, from the middle of the room to the side. At some point, it did. Yeah, they redid things or something and, and built it. I think, well, I think they had a, there was a back room and that's where, it was a very small stage or something and like just a raised thing. They took that out and then it went into the middle of the room or I don't know, but it, now at least once happy dog took over, they did physically move the stage that we used to always perform on. And now it's like, it sits in the front by the windows as opposed to the sidewall where we used to have, and it was a massive stage, but it, I mean, it was cool. I, I loved that room. And when we were doing it for a while, I mean, it, for multiple years, we would get at least 20, maybe 30 people to come and watch every single week. Yeah. And they were different people and they weren't comics. That was the, be- mm-hmm. that was the best part. It's like, we had actual people coming to watch and, and that was, that was so great to me. And the one, the one trick that I, I did was, um, you know, they loved that they were getting this business but they were like, hey, is there any way to keep it going? And I knew even then. And when I started that room, I think I was only a year and a half, maybe, into comedy. <laughs> Something like maybe. Yeah, probably. I don't think it was that that long. Um, and and so, and really the first year that I was doing it, I hardly did anything anyway. But, uh, you know, they were like, we're thinking about bringing in karaoke afterwards. And I was like, ooh, no, because in my mind, I saw karaoke getting popular. And if it's somebody else running karaoke, then they would be like, hey, what do you think mm-hmm. we start karaoke earlier? Because it draws more people to comedy. And I was like, absolutely not. And and my, my brother, who lived uh, at the time down in Dayton, uh, happened to run 
a karaoke and like wedding DJ business and had an extra huge mixing board sound system. And I was like, what if I ran the karaoke for you? <laughs> you know, so I did the comedy, I had the microphone and then I'll, Hey, I'll figure out karaoke and I'll run this for you afterwards. Could, you know, is that cool? And they're like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. If we just, we just dealt with you the whole night then and just, yeah, whatever you want to do. I was like, perfect. So I made sure that the, the comedy stayed and had a home there because it was such a great spot to work things out for comics. And by guaranteeing that karaoke wasn't going to take over. And karaoke got wildly popular there, I will say. Yeah, I never... I hate karaoke and comedy nights together. Like I like when they're yeah. like they're both fun in their own, but when you put them together, it's it's kind of I'm over it because my Monday night show was they had a karaoke night and I like the karaoke night. We actually coexisted together, but it's still it would people would come late because they could just still come for something. <laughs> yeah, I used to hate that they could come yeah. late and still like oh I'm, I'm still here for something else. Like that's not the same. That that was kind of like that was the one uh, the one thing that I tried to do was put a a minimal one hour gap between the two, so that you wouldn't get a ton of people who were like pre gaming mm. and shit faced for karaoke showing up to the end of this mic and being obnoxious, you know. So that way they didn't like run into each other so much. I was like, as long as we have at least an hour in between we can avoid that and still kind of keep the quality of the comedy and uh, in terms of the audience and everything going. And that, I mean, it all, it all worked for a while until, <laughs> until I gave up the mic. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had I to hand the reins off. You mean uh, like the like comics performer, you mean let somebody run the show. Let somebody run the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was, when you, you know, I think, some of some of what we ran into is uh, like any mic. Sometimes you get the same audiences get wise, right? So like when you had comics coming and they were doing, they wanted to be up there every single week, and then and this happened more so when I let somebody else run the show. Like that's why I was very meticulous about who was on it, how many people, and then in doing that, like sometimes as people are growing, you're able to give them a little bit more time, but like. You know, when it's the same people every single week and the audience comes, they get wise to what their jokes are. And they're like, okay, well, I already saw this last week or two weeks ago. And then they stop coming and it sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happened. When I did the first uh, Make Him Laugh at Blue Martini, I ran to that a few times where, um, because it was like the best set, we get the um, $50. We just do the contest every week. And, um, a few comics would come and they would not win but do the same jokes. So the audience would, like, some girls at the bar would just start talking when they see certain comics going up. They're like, oh, we already know what he's going to do. So it it became very, I understand that that, <laughs> that trouble of trying to keep the audience, because you, you're trying to tell the audience to date your ugly friend. Like, no, girl, give him a chance. <laughs> I know you see his face, but he a good man. Like, is that you got to hope they can see past the bullshit they've seen already. Yeah, and it's like you can't be mad at the audience for being annoyed or fed up with it because they're absolutely right. Like, hey man, your your joke hasn't worked here the five times you've done it. 
you know, try, try some new shit. And yeah, it's like, man, don't keep the old shit. Just everything for you should be a new day. Don't don't hold on to anything. You should let it all go. You have a clearance yeah. sale on that shit. <laughs> exactly. It. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Who's your? Don't say his, her name. Whoever. Don't say the person's name. But can you tell the story of one? At least your top three bombs from the Euclid Tavern. Oh, God. Um, if the name slips, we'll try to edit the name out. I mean, I, there are, there are so many people who came and, you know, only did something for one, one or two times and left. That happened a lot. And those names escape you. But one, I mean, I know one instance in particular was um, the decision in in 2010, LeBron leaving, mm-hmm. happened on a Thursday night, and the bar was packed, and I'm thinking, I'm like, there's no way, like, who is, and I, I mean, I knew, I wore a Los Angeles Lakers back-to-back champions t-shirt to the bar that night because I said, I didn't want to be a Cavs fan because I, I knew he wasn't staying. And I, we all had that feeling. So it, it all goes down. It goes down the way it does with that stupid taking my talents to South beach. And, uh, and I'm like, I don't think we should do comedy. You guys, nobody's into this right now. Everybody's pissed off. And this one dude's like, no, of course we got to do comedy. And this is what everybody's here for. I'm like, I don't think that is what they're here for. <laughs> and he gets on the stage and he's like, hey, just because LeBron you know, fucking sucks doesn't mean we all have to have a terrible night. We're about to do some comedy. And I was like, you're first then, dude. We'll see how it goes. And he, he didn't usually do well, but was booed on this night and it went so bad and like he's up there trying to do i want to say he's like doing rape jokes and something like oh people are already pissed off and then you're doing this like no no you can't do that uh it was so awful and it was so just Cringe worthy that this was even being attempted. That I'm just looking around the room at everybody else and was like, I'm good. I don't. I don't need to go up. <laughs> and we just ended it. I think after him. Oh. Um, and then there was a. Uh, of course, there's there's a comic who I uh, adore as an individual, though many times he thinks I hate him throughout the years. Uh, but he was going through. Oh, drug and alcohol issues at the time in the Yuko Tavern's heyday of an awesome mic. And um, he's kind of sobered up. It was pretty dark in general. And he would not do great very often because of this. Like he sabotaged himself. You know, it's already hard to get that kind of material across to a crowd. But... Then when you're just off, then it's really bad. Uh, so there was there was that um, political answer. Uh, huh? You set that up so politically. Like, well, he was going through some things for this bomb. 
Well, he, he you know, that's, that's the thing that you, I've seen him do. I've seen him do the same kind of jokes and I've seen him do comedy with even within the last few years. And it's like so much better once he got cleaned up <laughs> world's better. But back then it's just, you know, people just stared at him and it was, you know, the Yuko Tavern was one of those things that made me appreciate not doing, uh, not doing jokes for the back of the room, even though it's a, it was a bar and it's an open mic. The audiences that we got were not they they thought that they were gonna see legitimate comedy. Yeah. So like if you're just trying to do cringe jokes to get the back of the room, you're you're not gonna get over there because the crowd's just gonna not react or they're gonna shit all over it because that's not what they were coming in expecting to see. They were out to have a great time, you know? And and not uh there's a difference between I always say there's a difference between getting just flat out groans and discomfort and getting the groans with a laugh, you know, like the, Oh, (laughs) that's, that's a laugh. Fine. But you know, people being disgusted, that's not a victory. I don't know. That's just not comedy to me. So that's what he would do. And he was so fucked up on a variety of drugs at the time that it was not good. And, uh, I there multiple. I mean, there were times where he tried to uh, steal the show, uh, <laughs> thinking that charging the stage would be funny. Like he'd come up on the stage and be like, "Shut up, Steve guy, and suck my dick," and try to like come up to the stage and grab me. But he'd be so fucked up that I literally just throw him to the ground, like one hand, just push him to the ground. <laughs> like, what are you doing, dude? Like, no. Uh, so yeah, he bombed uh, <laughs> a decent amount. Um, the, the, but the number one would be, I don't know if you were there for this, but we did a roof. We In the summertime, we did the rooftop. Uh-uh, I've never seen a rooftop. Okay. So the rooftop was small, but it was really awesome atmosphere. And uh, there was this guy who was heckling everybody. And he kept saying that he should do comedy. <laughs> you know, you get that everywhere. Ah, I should be a comic. I could do this and blah, blah, blah. And, and was being so obnoxious that people are like, let him go up, let him go up. And like people were being really, and I was like, dude, I'm like, I tell you what, you can go up, but I'm not going to tell them to not heckle you because you've been (laughs) such an asshole to everybody else. And he's like, yeah, man, whatever. I'll be hilarious. It's going to be fine. Like the audacity for you to tell me that you're going to be hilarious. As a first time. Yeah. And you've never even written a set. You just think by watching this, you're going to be great. We let him go up and it was, oh, it was so bad. He obviously had no jokes, was trying to talk about his life, which wasn't funny. And people were so awful to him. It's still on YouTube somewhere. And part of me feels bad because there, I mean, people are telling him to jump off the roof. Mm. Uh, People are just screaming horrible things at him. But in reality, they're just shouting what he was saying to them and just proving a point. And this thing has like, I don't know. I think it's got, it's got over 10,000 views. I think it may be, have close to like a hundred thousand views. Cause somehow it got on a Reddit thing and just <laughs> took off like five, six years ago, <laughs> way after Euclid Tavern was done. I was like, Oh, okay. 
that's a thing now. But that was that was the worst. That was the worst thing to ever sit through. Was that guy? He made it to Reddit. It, yeah, it oh. made it to Reddit. I'm trying to think what? Because uh, you also started doing the Cleveland Comedy Festival recently. Yeah, like that's yeah. Been, you've been doing that for about, I think what two or three years now. Or you've been just helping them um, for a while, but you've actually got more hands-on these last few years. Yeah, exactly. So I've been helping them with the comedy festival for, uh, I don't know, a long time in a variety of ways. Um, but three, last three, four years maybe, became more hands-on. And the last two, three years really kind of took over. And like now, now I'm the executive director. So I... And the head of the Cleveland Comedy Festival, but there are people who work with me on it. Of course, there's no way I could just do all that by myself. Um, and yeah, there's a lot more involved in that. And then, I mean, suffice to say, you get the submissions and you get uh, you get some bombs in the submissions. Of course, as you would know, you've seen submission videos for yeah. festivals, right? We did the festival. Uh, we did Accidental Comedy Festival, and when we were doing that one, we all watched. Uh, we would take chunks of videos and it yeah. made you feel you know you could tell where you were that's the only good thing I liked about watching the submissions was you could see your level of sure. comics like you see these guys are all this you're like cool I'm I'm not that or you're like damn I wish I was that good so that was a good yeah. thing I seen from watching all those videos but it's, it's way more uh, missed shots <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean to their credit there have been some people over the uh, the few years that I've had to watch videos and I didn't have have to, I didn't watch anything this year because we didn't do submissions because of the pandemic and everything, not knowing what we were going to do when we were going to run it. But there have been people who knew that they were not ready for it, but used the submission as like a way to get some feedback, mm. which, I, which I thought was kind of neat, right? Like, yeah, there was a fee to pay to submit, but I mean, that's that's not... Uh, we all who were like on the board, there was like four or five of us that were wa would watch the videos. So when somebody would send that, you know, we all watched the video and it's like, all right, here's, here's the thoughts from four or five different people. And granted, we're not, we're not experts. Like none of us or our national household names. You can recognize the emotion of humor you, though. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's no yeah, expert I mean, in laughter. You know, like, oh, it's not like exactly. wine tasting where the shit tastes good. Well, you taste exactly. the hints of nigga, fuck it. It's funny. Like, what the, <laughs> like, you are yeah. an expert at laughter. You can get and a I, joke. And I, and I feel like we've put some really funny people over the few years that I've been a part of it. So I'm like, you know what though? I think that we at least are good at picking out funny for sure. <laughs> so, but I just, I just respected the fact that they were like, Hey, I'm, I'm really still kind of new at this, but um, there aren't a lot of mics in my town and people here, which we all know like stand up comedy at times there are people who are very like uh, uh, people are overly competitive and they're dicks and they're not going to give you positive feedback. They're not going to give you any sort of constructive feedback, I guess, positive or negative. They're not going to do anything to help you. And so credit to these people. They were like, yeah, here, I'm going to pay my submission fee. I'm sending you this video. I'd just like some feedback. I don't have any you know, misconceptions <laughs> that I'm lighting the world on fire and I'm going to get into your festival, but I'd like to at least know where I am. And I'm like, you know what? That's that's pretty cool. Good, good for them. I mean, 
I hate to rain on their parade, but there's an easier way to get instant feedback called YouTube. You just let them motherfuckers tell, like they'll tell you out the gate. Like you don't need. <laughs> I I mean yeah. that's that's one way to yeah. do it. More power to them. Yeah. But they could just go to YouTube and get the the skinny <laughs> or get the word on the street. <laughs> And somebody gives you if you got more thumbs down, you, you got could, thumbs up. This is if you got forty one views and, and and fifty one thumbs down. I mean, niggas really hated your shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were a little bit more constructive thumbs up, thumbs down, though. You know, it's like like you know, having been in this for a while, if somebody tells a joke, you get the sense of hey, you know what, you cut this off too soon, or like hey, you dragged this out way too far. And, mm-hmm. and you're able to kind of have that conversation, that dialogue with someone. And I think that's the kind of stuff that they were looking for. Um, yeah, it, it's, yeah, YouTube works though. <laughs> I mean, you'll get like you'll get help with a joke from a submission. Maybe they might somebody might be a comic and they'll help you with. Yeah. Oh, this joke was really good. If you would have done this, versus you know, YouTube just gonna be. <laughs> This this is horrible. It's like, well, I guess you know where you're at. Right. Right. Yes. That's what they were looking for from us was more of the the more of the nuanced stuff. Not, not the hey, you're dog shit. You should never submit to anything. Yeah, I don't mean look, next time save your money because you 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 didn't have to do this to yourself. <laughs> It's, it's it was a little bit of me that felt like uh did you ever go to the improv when Lee Herlin's was running it mm-hmm. in Cleveland and he'd have those Wednesday things? No, I was, I started when he was doing those, but I never got one. Oh, that, it reminded me so much of people's horror stories. Was it Empty that. Room? Yeah, it, like he's the only audience except for the comics that are up there, but nobody wants to laugh, which is, which is weird because it's very similar to, um, I was able to get on at the improv in Hollywood when visiting there at one point and um, they did an afternoon show and there was some audience, but that was like mostly comics and it was a very similar feel where like the comics don't want to laugh at another comics jokes because <laughs> they fear that, you know, if they laugh at somebody else's jokes and the, the person who, who makes the decisions is really going to, uh, feel like they did better and, and put them on instead of them. So, it, you know, doing that stuff with Lee is kind of similar the same way. It, 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 it was nerve wracking for a lot of people, but that was the one thing I had in my mind when I'm doing, uh, when somebody submitted like that and asked those kind of questions of like, all right, don't be like <laughs> him. Just be. Well, I, because nice. I remember I saved those messages. I still have them in my email from me and him, our exchange. And I, I did the same thing. I told myself to never give advice like that. <laughs> <laughs> like if a kid asks me a question, I'll make sure I give them the best answer completely. I'm not going to say I don't like it. I'm not getting into it. I'm like, hey, man. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't That's... horrible, but I don't know if I do that joke like that. But I'm like, give some real criticisms. Pete, uh, not Pete, um, Lee would just rip your heart out. <laughs> the very first time I went there though he he was actually kind of uh nice to me I guess I, I mean I guess I did all right I went there a few times and they were all fine but I I never got on the stage when he was there um 
I, I don't know why, whatever. But uh, he was the very first time I'll never forget. You know, he takes you out into the bar area and sits down with you after everybody performs. And he goes, you know, uh, you're kind of funny. Like, I know I could tell you're new. You're new, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm new. He's like, yeah, don't do this joke anymore. That sucked. Uh, you know, but this one, I think... Uh, he's like, I'm just going to say it. You're a good looking kid. You got that. Oh, you're kind of already ahead of some other people. And I'm like, what a, what a, a thing to say. Yeah, he told me a joke was hack. And I'm like, who else has said it before? He said, well, the joke itself is a hack, but the way you're doing it is hack. I said, man, you just don't want to, you just want to insult me. This <laughs> like you had a, like you're boring to watch. I said, "Well, I don't play an instrument on stage. I'm just standing there, talking into a microphone. I get you could move around more, but I've been doing this shit for probably three months trying to talk to this man. <laughs> like, yeah, I remember I called to the improv. I was in the calling mood because everybody said call the number, so I called the improv and I leave a message for Lee. Leave him a message, you know, saying I'm a comedian trying to, you know, get on the open mic." Calls me back, and I was excited. And then I—that's when the call started. I was very excited. When the call ended, I was like, "Who the fuck?" It comedy is horrible. Cause he—he's—I'm uh, like, yeah, he like, who is this? I said, and he called me by the way. I said, this is John Bruton. So you called me? I said, yeah, yes, yes, sir. I called about trying to get on the uh, improv audition uh, thing or what. You know, I don't know what it is, but I heard people talk about it, so I figured I'd call and ask. He said, you're a comedian? I said, yes, sir. He said, I never heard of you. So that's why I'm calling. <laughs> <laughs> trying to try and get on that radar. Well, I know all the comedians. You ain't a comedian if I never heard of you. So that's why I'm on the phone with you now, trying to, you know, do the do that. I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to call you so I can become a person you know. Well, I know all the comedians in town. I don't say don't say don't call yourself a comedian until I know you. I said, well, this is the best time. <laughs> if ever to know somebody you're on the phone with me now like, I'm trying to be peaceful as fuck like man why are you such an asshole I, for the, I a person you don't know <laughs> I can appreciate it looking back a little bit and and I talked to Lee I've had conversations with him since then in fact um, in, in 2019 we brought him in for the festival to do a panel along with Sam from Hilarities about you know, helping comics that were coming through just to kind of give them an idea and help them get booked, which is one to me, one of the, one of my favorite things that we do with the festival. Like, yeah, we do stand up comedy and we bring the audiences, but when we get to do a true festival, we get to do a variety of different panels that help the comics that come into town. And we of course open it up to comics in Cleveland, but don't get me started on that because none of them come to these things. And then they all wonder, well, how come I can't get ahead? I don't know. Well, when the good ones don't have to come. I'll tell you, <laughs> the good ones but, aren't, don't have that, they're booked that weekend. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's not the good ones that asking that question of how can they advance themselves? You know, uh, no, they're not going to make it. That's why I wish so, you, I wish you guys would tell people that more often. That you're not going to make you're it. Not, it's like, come on, man, look, stop. Like, just yeah. don't do this. Please but, don't. But Lee is, he's a, an easygoing person and a good person to, to talk to. And he's a great resource uh, for that stuff now. I mean, he's not at the improv, but I appreciate that he came. I could he have come across better. Yes. But I, uh, I still appreciate the fact that he didn't make it 
easy. He gave us understanding that like, hey, this is going to be difficult. Like as difficult as he was, it's, it's certainly more difficult to get on to stages outside of your home city. Although, but sometimes I guess I could argue that it feels like the hardest stage to get on is the one in your home city. Yeah, because there's no, there's no one way to it. And I think yeah. uh, I like Lee, I like Pete, uh, Sam, because they don't make it easy for you. Yeah. Because every comic, like I've talked to Booker's, out of the three of them, I've talked to them about how do you, like helping comics not go through the shit I went through. Because Lee is necessary. Yeah. If you're going to, because every, the funny part, every club Booker reflects the club's audience, reflects the club. So if a dude like Lee is telling you you ain't shit, guess what the audience is going to do to you? Yeah. <laughs> the audience yeah. is going to tell you you ain't shit. So he knows what the fuck he's doing. Sam, he might not respond back to you. He's going to be very, uh, not passive aggressive, but he's not going to be as uh, in your face with a fuck you. It's more like a, just a dismiss. Right. Guess what hilarious audience going to do? They're going to just sit there and they'll chuckle you off, but they'll write on that card. I don't like that person. They're this very Yelp review <laughs> audience. Yeah. And then you get Pete. Now, Pete laughing was funny. He ain't trying to think too hard. You don't try and fucking, don't be witty to Pete. Don't do the aristocrats with Pete. He ain't fucking with you with that shit. He didn't come here for that, all that listening to words before he laugh. He wants to hear the fucking laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Pete respects the laugh more than the joke. He does, yeah. So, Total joke already. Yeah, yeah it's like he don't want to hear a dissertation, nigga. This ain't that. Mm-mm. These people pay to hear a laugh. I want to hear because he he hearing he don't care about what you're saying on stage. Yeah, he, he don't. He can say, oh yeah, don't no cussing. Yeah, because he let them them bad comments go up there and cuss all day. <laughs> That's why he tells you no cussing, not because he's holding you back from greatness. You're not fucking good, let alone better to be great. It's just every club booker, every club owner, or whatnot. They reflect their club. And people don't really want to respect that. And Lee was a, he was the fucking lifeblood of that place. <laughs> he lets you know, yo, you going you ain't shit. You're not ready. You're not ready. He's like, well, let me try it. All right, I'm gonna let you try. It. And then when you get fucking punched in the mouth, don't come back here crying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did, and and it's like. It's, you know, what he was telling you about, I don't think you're a comedian because I know all the comedians in town. I've never heard. I don't know how you feel about this, but I still feel a certain way, you know, like 10 years ago or whatever, I guess maybe it's a little bit more than that for me that were coming up and there were comics and older comics and guys who had worked the road. And I remember some of them would get upset because younger people would be like, well, I'm a comic, I'm a comedian and blah, blah. And they were very protective of that word because to them it's a profession it's not a hobby and i still feel that way for sure and i think that i've kind of developed that mindset a little bit like don't call yourself a comic or a comedian until somebody pays you to make people laugh even then even then <laughs> but that's a minimum right at no, minimum i don't like, i don't agree with that either because i give no? a different everything like it's like boxing. So you might start off sparring in the gym and taking boxing lessons. You might be paying to be a boxer, though. When you first start off, you're paying a trainer. It's coming out of pocket. Everybody doesn't get to box with their face on a poster. Right. Like, everybody doesn't get on the marquee or even get a title fight. 
I feel like until you have something that could really stop you from doing something, you're not a comedian. Until you get that one show that could really fuck you up, if you blow this, it's over, then you ain't doing shit yet. You haven't got to that point where you lost something. Because, I mean, comics now, people, I mean, I've seen people like, I miss comedy. It's like, you miss open mics because you weren't doing comedy yet. <laughs> like, I've seen a lot of people, man, I miss yeah. comedy. Comedy's on your, you got the comedy the same for you. You can get on Netflix right now and be the same. You ain't, ain't shit changed for you. Your lifestyle didn't change. You don't miss <laughs> things. You miss your friends. Like, you don't miss the shitty hotel rooms. <laughs> You don't miss the late nights drinking and talking shit because like, you weren't doing it. So it's kind of like I get the people want to. It's a balanced occupation. Anybody can say there's something like we all can say we're public figures on Instagram. We all can say it. Just have a public uh, uh, profile. And you can, I'm a public figure. All right. I guess <laughs> I'm a comedian. I made somebody laugh before. Shitty hotel rooms. I the, I love. You know, the shittiest, the shittiest hotel room I think I've ever stayed in was because of a comedy gig. And it was my very first gig that I ever got. And Squire got it for me. Uh, it was a place called Connections in Toledo, which mm-hmm. is no longer there. Mm-hmm. And Bill, Bill was there featuring for Julie Scoggins. And... The Julie. MC for the I weekend. I love Julie. She's so funny. Oh, I work with Julie on purpose. I was featuring. I still ask Julie to host for her. And uh, oh man, I oh, is one it. of the when you first see the magic trick, you like this motherfucker is great. <laughs> like yeah. she walks you yes. walks you into the sales pitch. <laughs> she so walks good. you. Oh, she gonna make her uh, money up. Fuck with the show paying. She gonna make this t shirt money. She opens up a store. She taught me that. Oh my god. She's yeah. Oh, she. You about a professional at this, Julie Scott's all day. Uh, like she, she's the one person you watch and like, oh, this is what it means to be a professional looking comic. Like she's got all down. But but Bill got me this MC gig because their person was sick for the weekend. I'll be on Thursday. Uh, I was like, all right, I'll drive up on a Friday. So we're gonna do two Friday, two Saturday, and. You know, they were planning on paying somebody local, not necessarily me. I could go home and like, well, we can give you a little bit of money. With a little bit of money, I was able to I'm like, all right, I can get a hotel that's down the road from here. <laughs> and it was so bad. I mean, like, I slept on top of oh. the comforter and I was like, I'm not sleeping in this bed. And part of me wanted to sleep on the floor, but the floor was gross. And then like, I'm thinking about taking a shower but I'm like, oh, that looks disgusting. It looked like it had never been clean. There's soap scum and stuff all over the place. And I'm like, ah, this is. And and then the the flooring for the shower was like, it was just a little bit of a lip. So it wasn't like uh-huh. a, a bathtub. It was like a stand up shower. And, you know, they just had like that little bit of lip to step over. But it With was the drain in the it middle. It was crumbled. So the drain ended up being in the middle of the bathroom floor, like where the mm. toilet is. And so the shower water even drains out of the shower <laughs> to the bathroom floor and then goes into that drain. And I'm like, so what, like now I got to stand in this gross stuff and like that drains backed up. And so I'm like, I, if I want to brush my teeth and stuff or even walk to go take a piss in the bathroom, like there's all this, I'm like, oh, this is, this is the worst. It was $30, I think, for the night. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is a $30 hotel room, no doubt. 
I studied in a motel in West Virginia, and I knew I was better than this because I had my my computer with me. It's the first time I realized I'm not leaving my computer here. I had my computer. I kept my computer with me the whole weekend. I'm like, nope, I'm taking this to the venue because they'll steal this. They don't. <laughs> they don't understand Wi-Fi. They not this place. I'm not giving them a fucking Mac. Nope, I'll take this with me. It was the worst. And I, I cars would pull up, and you know, I already feel like it's, it's, it's the tension of racism is already thick. So I'm like, they're gonna call the front desk and say, "Yep, we got one." He's standing in room one or whatever. Knock on the door. So I was like, I hate it here. I, I, oh, it was hard to sleep because <laughs> every time I was a car, every time a car would pull up. You could see the the headlights make you wake up. It's like I don't like. I'm not staying in the motel ever again. I'm too good. I'm, my life is not that bad. Where I got, I'm out on the run. I'm better than this fucking motel. I'm not staying in a motel again. I I honestly thought about sleeping. I had a, a Grand Cherokee at the time, and I was like, I'm not opposed to sleeping with the seats down because it's basically the size of a, a double bed <laughs> in the cargo area. If I do that. And I was like, I'm not opposed to this. But walking up into the hotel, I I watched uh, a drug deal take place. <laughs> and I saw a dude was carrying. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I mean, I guess I'd rather be inside <laughs> than like somebody come knocking on my door or something at night. I'm like, I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I hated those. But I feel like if you don't have those, you're not a comedian. <laughs> Like you don't really get to tell people you're a comedian. Uh, you don't really get to tell people you're a comedian. You just you just are. Like you just become a comedian. You can't tell people, yeah, I I do comedy. It's like according to who? Like you can't be the only um, barometer of that. It's you know it's funny because that kind of thing, and I would say that like oh, do you get people to come to shows? Then you're not a comedian. But even if you get people to come to shows, that doesn't mean you're a comedian. It means that you've got some really good friends and family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and that kind of idea is like what led us to even, you know, the Cleveland Comedy Festival used to do a contest. And when it very clearly starts to become a bringer thing and you've got... 30 people who aren't from Cleveland and they feel like, why am I even doing this? I don't even have an opportunity. It's like, that was when I finally got to be one of the heads and we sat down and we're like, all right, what do we want to change? I'm like, there's no more contest. It, <laughs> contest is done. I, I, I love trying to help comics in Cleveland and, and build up, but like, no. <laughs> if the contest would have been ran with actual like the way they did uh, Last Comic Standing, where sure, the audience exists, but there's seasoned comics who actually pick apart and tell you your jokes are good. Like, yo, that was a, that was a clever sure. joke. Versus all you did was say this. Like, that, you weed those out when you have real comics. Because comics, they're really protective of this shit. So if you're funny, they'll respect you. But if you're a gimmick because you got a bunch of people, because I think when you're... An audience member, and you know that there's just a majority of people are laughing because they're cool with this guy, then you're gonna not laugh anymore at all. You, you recognize the jokes are horse shit. Like, I lost in the funny stop contest my first time because a guy said penis 17 times slowly. And he knew all the people there. He went to Akron U, 
and the club's right around the corner from the uh, college, and he just kept saying, penis, 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 penis. And they're just dying laughing like it's hilarious. I'm like, this is bullshit. We wrote our shit. This nigga just playing around. <laughs> I uh, I did the funny stop contest uh, a couple different times, and then there was something happened. And like, I don't remember how far along in the contest it was. It was maybe second, maybe, I think it was probably the second time that I'd done it. But I'd already kind of hosted there as well. So like, whatever, I didn't need this contest. And one of the judges comes up to me and goes, hey, Steve, just so you know, you would be moving along. But you already get work here. And a couple of these people brought a lot of people course have to do right by the club and we want to make sure that a a bunch of people come back so if it's okay with you we're we're putting them through but want you to know that you had like set of the night and i'm like all right that's that's fine that's all i need to know and then (laughs) pete needed somebody to do the contest like the next time he just needed a couple extra bodies and he asked me, Steve, I would do the contest. I'm like, no, I'm not doing your contest anymore. I'm done with this dude. And, and then it quickly turned into he, I think like two years in a row or something, he let me close out the contest. So mm. I go, I've never won this thing, but I knew I was good enough to do it. So it was like, uh, all right. You know, the consolation was, Hey, you're not advancing, but, uh, I'm going to throw you a few bones and here, close out this thing for you. Here are the perks of a winner besides the title. Yeah. So like, you know what? I'm good with that. I don't need contest winner. Like that's, I don't, I just didn't, I didn't need it. I didn't feel like it was, maybe it would have gotten me something extra. Maybe it's a nice little thing to put on your comedic resume early on. But I was like, at the end of the day, the goal was to get some work. Right. And so if I'm getting paying gigs then. Then I won. I succeeded. I remember who I lost to the first time that broke my heart. Eric Brewer. Oh, God. Eric Brewer beat me. Mr. M- he looked like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Matt, Eric Brewer <laughs> beat me, and I was so mad because I had a better set. Uh, but he had more people because he's from there. And uh, the judges told yeah. me the same. Hey, John, we know... We'll give you the weekend. Just you know, I said no. I want. To, I want to. I want to win. So I came back the next time, and I was. I was getting better finally. So I'm like, for that at that level, I was. I was good. So I just was. It was a shoe in. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the rules. I had the material. I, you know, all you need is like, fifteen minutes. You know, three different five minute sets that work. You're good. Yeah. Three closers. <laughs> so. <laughs> That was fun. And I and I finally mastered that one. I wanted to go to the next one. And I got to the Cleveland Comedy Festival that one year. It was me, Mary, Mike Paramore, Jeffrey uh Osmus. Osmus, uh Sam Ike. Uh it was some fucking it was a lot of uh class of ninety sixers where it's like everybody was gonna go be <laughs> Something else. Like we we might not win an MVP in this class, but everybody here works. It was a really good year, yeah. Yeah, because like, you got to meet these people like damn Jeffrey still getting busy. Sam Mike still getting busy. Paramore, Mary. Uh I'm I'm okay. <laughs> so it's like just that class, that year, I'm like, this is probably one of the better years 
uh, they yeah. had in the contest. Then the next year was cool. That's when uh, Jasmine won. Jasmine, yeah. Yeah, she beat uh, in her class. That uh, was it. Beat- you know what? Her class was the internet um, and grind. Like her year was internet people who also did stage time. Like they weren't just one. Yeah. But they had a everybody on her her class had a had a at had a handle. Yeah, they did. Yeah, she was. Um, I'm trying to think. I think Sonal Agarwal was one of the top three that year, mm-hmm. and uh, Sonal's out of Chicago, and she's like her whole crew. She came in with a few people from Chicago, and um, three of them end up this year. Like uh, Code Switched is the name of a YouTube series that just came out and was filmed in Chicago and they are all on that. So like, like you said, they're internet people and standups. Like they all kept working, which was cool. Mm-hmm. One of, you know, one of the other really good years was that looking back, you had Brent Terhune and Curtis Cook. I remember that year. Two of the three finalists. I think that's the year Matt Lighty was in that year too. I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got put out first round that year. <laughs> <laughs> like that was, that was a good year. That might have been. No, that's not the year. Brad Brad Wenzel was here in mm-hmm. a year, but I think that was, that was the same. That might have been the year after that one. Same year. Was it the same year? Yeah, he same was in year. Because uh, okay. he had kind of seemed like he fumbled in the middle of his set. Uh, yeah, Brad may have come. I think he was. He did it twice, maybe because that year, yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't win, but I think he came back a year or two later, and I think he won the contest. I don't know. There've been there've been some names. Yeah, I think music because like comedy festivals are like summer camp for us. Because you're gonna find a guy like at your level. Yeah, you're gonna find a guy like you. You're gonna find comment like if you're a shitty comic, they're gonna gravitate towards each other. The dirt bags are going to be eating lunch the first day. Like the second time you see your dirt bag from your city, he's with four of the dirt bags, and you're like, "Yep, they found each other somehow from a message board and on Facebook." <laughs> <laughs> the black comics find each other. Once you see one, you're like, "Yep, we got to stay close because there's only four of us here." It's like being in college. It's like, "Yep, we're only out of fucking sixty-five <laughs> comics. Only five are not white." <laughs> so you just. <laughs> You bond and it's, it's fun, but then I mean I, I've met guys that we stay cool like uh, Casey Aurora. He came from New York. He was in it. Gabe. He was in it. So it's guys uh, who stayed busy. Like you know, you just meet a guy. You're like, yeah, man, and you see him on the road again or something. You see him in another city. You're like, hey, man, remember that one time we met in Cleveland? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's real cool. Like I've kept kept in touch with a ton of people, you know. Like it, I kind of think back to, I don't know. For me, the festival, I think sometimes with the hodgepodge of people, because like you know me, like I I don't like to gravitate towards one group. People, I like talking to everybody. The whole thing is like get to know everybody, and like I love pulling from all sorts of different walks of life and a way early on in comedy, I not to intentionally go full circle, but it kind of does. Like I think back to Euclid Tavern and think it's like, I got you there. Like we're hanging out. Redescu 
who is always there. Like he's he's my right hand guy at the Euclid Tavern. He becomes uh, Curtis Cook starts comedy at the Euclid Tavern, <laughs> and then you have a guy who doesn't even do stand up like. Well, like Clem, Chris Clem is coming to the Euclid Tavern. We all hang out. And that's one of my best friends now, him and Rodescu. And I've got you. And then Damon, Damon Kamen is oh, yeah. there hanging out. Who doesn't do stand up anymore. But like, what a, it was, it was a cool, like, he little grouping of people just to like be around. And he called me with a funny movie idea. And we were on the phone for like 45 minutes, <laughs> just hashing out this silly idea of a movie. <laughs> about a white guy who could say the N-word because he was now, <laughs> he now felt it. Like he had to go through this journey of being treated like, a, it was like funny. It was to us, we just was having a, a good time. To like It was more like a what scenario yeah. would everybody be okay with this white guy saying the word? It was like, he'd have to get, he'd got to go through this. And we kept saying different things he'd have to go through <laughs> and how many generations of his family would have to go through it before <laughs> they could finally say <laughs> Like he had to get treated like one and had to earn that shit. He got to earn, <laughs> earn the N word. And I remember being, it was like late as fuck. He had just called, cause he just had his baby. And we just, I was just out on the road and I was just sitting on the couch. I remember sitting on the couch in my room, talking to him about it, laughing, like no, like just having a good laugh about this dumb ass movie of a white guy and his family. What, the, what would I do to this family to get them to finally be okay? <laughs> <laughs> This is the dumb stuff that he comes up with. Like he was always good for that. But oh. you know, you know where he came from was uh, early on when I was starting out. I became uh, cool with. He was maybe a year or so ahead of me, but was Brendan Air, and mm. we used to go to all the same places together. And Damon had been. I don't know. If they went to high school together with some. Somehow he was cool with Brendan, mm-hmm. and that's when started coming to the Euclid Tavern. So it, it's, you know, that's another name of, of guys where it's just, you know, it's, it's cool to see him grow and, and become different things. Brendan here is a dude who my dad still remembers. My dad used to come to my shows like early on or like mics and stuff that I, I would do out. And did you ever go to Bogies out in Willoughby? No. Jay Bach and Kirk Bogus had. I didn't. Uh, when I was starting it, out, they know, wouldn't respond it, to it was, me. It was open for like two years. <laughs> okay <laughs> they, i wasn't good enough for them yet so uh so you know i'd go there whatever and my dad in uh would come to those and he would see brendan and then uh brendan would be at funny stop or whatever like just everywhere and uh my dad just thought he was such a nice guy nice kid and everything and it feels like every three to six months if i'm around anything comedic related my dad will be like, hey, what uh, what's Brendan Ayer up to? How is he doing? And it was such a big deal when Brendan was on like late night TV doing a stand-up set. My dad recorded it. I texted him. I was like, dude, Brendan's going to be on TV. My dad recorded the thing so that he could watch it the next day. And and still remembers when Brendan would like wear sweet colorway shoes. Like <laughs> always had the cool shoes. And, and my, like you would have thought my dad, you would have thought that I was on late night television doing jokes. But my dad hadn't seen this dude in years, but thought it was just the coolest and was like so proud of Brendan Ayer, who he hadn't seen at that point, probably like seven years. And I'm like, uh, all right. But that's, those are the people sometimes that you meet in comedy. Like you meet good people. I yeah, feel my mom, like. My mom worked with Curtis Cook's dad. They grew, they worked together for years. They retired from the same place. They knew each other for years. They knew of us as children. 
So my mom would always ask about Curtis. And when he was on uh, Jim Jeffries, he got a speaking part. I sent her the clip. Yeah. And she reposted it. And I thought I was so, I was so pissed. And I'm like, this, she ain't ever reposted nothing I've done. Like, I've, I do this shit too, mama. Like, <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't on Comedy Central, but fuck, I got shows here you could repost. I got, I was in the newspaper. You ain't got my news clipping nowhere in this goddamn house. Like, Curtis, clip on the Facebook wall like a motherfucker, though. The, the alternative to that is how Curtis's parents feel about him, though. Like, so when I had him on, when I had him on Happy Hour with Steve Guy, he tells the story. It was, you know, he did the comedy festival in 2019. He's one of the headliners. And he, he told me how proud his parents were. They felt like it was one of the first times they felt like he really made it because of the price of the alcohol at Playhouse Square. That's funny as fuck. That's some, yeah, that is some shit. It's just certain little things like, oh, he really doing it now. Look at this. Yeah. Look at the price on this. $7 for anything yeah. in a cup. Yeah. Oh, $10, $10 for a, a Great Lakes Dortmunder in a bottle. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, because it was the venue for me. My parents, it was like, where, where you performing at? It's like, all right, well, I can't tell them come to the LVT. No disrespect, <laughs> but my mom ain't going to be in this shit, though. Like, this ain't going to fit for my parents, No. <laughs> like this is where you come meet your friends. It's not where you tell your parents I got a show here. So yeah. when I got when I uh uh Chad Zumach was running the um comedy zone, he was booking the MCs. Oh yeah, the Roxino. Yeah, yeah the Roxino. I, I got a ton of work out of that. Yeah. So when I start when I got into the Roxino, I told my mother, and that's when she was like, Ooh, because she liked the Roxino. She's like, Yeah, oh let my baby get them free buffets too. Okay, we're gonna be out here. <laughs> what time your show? And she like was sent because sent one the one funny night Sinbad was there too, which I thought that was a fucking hell of a booking to do. Have the yeah. fucking comedian that's the, he's made for these people, and you go give the free show over here at the comedy zone. It's like it's, really, we had seventeen people because they already paid, and uh, four of them were about to get it. They wanted a fucking uh, refund because they thought they were buying Sinbad tickets. Sinbad, yeah, for twenty dollars. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> You got it. <laughs> yeah. You you thought you can't. You, you clicked the wrong button. Like, yeah, I'm gonna buy these comedy tickets because comedy is comedy. Sinbad gonna be there. It's like, no. Mm-mm. Do you do you feel like that's uh that's another spot that I I feel like really helped me grow and write was that that venue because you had all those free ticket giveaways and they're there. So like it's your job to get these people to laugh. And there were certain jokes that I had or was working on and I had to rework them. Like that's where I really truly learned that I've got to come up with different ways to get the whole audience on my side to bring this set up so that when the punchline hits, even if it's something that's not in their era, because let's face it, there were a ton of 60-year-olds that were there. Mm-hmm. They understood why that punchline was funny, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I had I had learned how to do that a lot because I was coming from uh, straight bars, just doing bar show after bar show where I'm, I'm not horrible, but I'm not, I shouldn't be here just yet. Like, I'm not clean. Like, I know that. I, I can't really change that about myself right now. Uh, yeah. Julie Scoggins, um, she tr- pretty much told me how to do my style of jokes for that audience, where it was, 
you keep the same pace, but drop out the heavy cuss words. Mm-hmm. Like, don't say the hard ones. Say the little ones, the cute ones. Get out the system. You still can say damn, and you can say shit. Just don't talk about shit. Like, don't, you didn't take a shit. No, 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 never take a shit. But you can not give a shit. Yeah. And I'm like, that's just better. And so I learned how to do those things where it'd be, and then she told me every sentence should be a laugh. Like, I seen Roy Roy Wood Jr. do it the best, where everything he says after after he gets rolling is downhill. He's hitting that speed back, where everything he says is a laugh. It's a calculate. He wrote that he, he planned it to be this way. And she told me to write. And I worked with her three times. Every time she came to town, I made sure I, I got that weekend. I even talked to her. And she requested me to work with her that weekend. That's like, awesome. Like I wasn't even around often. I was still trying to get in other clubs. But she would tell me she's coming to town and, you know, come on down. So I would come on down, help her sell the T-shirts, get some, soak up some game. <laughs> and she even and got then- me. She actually got me into Comedy Zone. Like she had me email people and talk to people for me to get me into the comedy zone to be working for them. Oh, that's sweet. It's it's and then every with every sentence that has to be a laugh, I think that you know, when you're first starting out and people talk to you, it's set up punchline, set up punchline. But every laugh doesn't have to be a punchline. Mm-mm. Like like she said, like every sentence you can get a laugh and then it all builds still to this punchline. Like you could tell a story. But each sentence in that story should have a laugh somewhere. Yeah, like she would she would still tell you a story, but like she would say little things in the sentence to make sure you chuckled until the end. Yeah. So if she's talking about washing clothes. Uh, she'll say she knew it was laundry day because she was wearing a thong now. And she's <laughs> like, you know, she shouldn't be wearing a thong. The punchline right. ain't here yet. She's giving you, she's painting the picture and telling you why it's funny. So it's like, yeah, she gonna walk you down, and every to, when she gets to the end, it's the punchline. So I I started getting better at when I when I first was like trying to get better at learning how to tell jokes. I would write it where everything I'm saying after I get going. Once I get past that first, hello, I'm John. I'm gonna tell you some jokes. Here's one of them. After I get past that shit, <laughs> we on a roller coaster. Everything's downhill. And if I take if that, I do two sentences, is, it's the closer. Like if I take two sentences to break something up, I need that stall to get to the big, big laugh coming. That that place is um it's a great example of like if if you're not willing to adjust to this crowd, you shouldn't necessarily you, you shouldn't be the kind of person that then goes after the crowd, right? Especially mm-hmm. if you've gone there multiple times. Because if you've gone there multiple times and you're expecting that crowd to change, like that's that's on you. So I'm sorry, but don't be so, I guess, selfish. If they come to you and say, hey, uh, we need an MC or we need a feature and you know that that crowd isn't going to react to your stuff and you're unwilling to change your stuff, you got to be like, no, nah, sorry, I got to pass. Mm-hmm. Like you have to say it. I realized that it was a good crowd when my mom went to the show because she loves comedy. Like mm-hmm. you can be dirty, you can be just be funny. She don't she can hear Eddie Griffin, she can hear Bill Cosby, she can laugh and have tears in her eyes regardless on no matter who. So when I would go there and she would come with me or she would have me to go to a show just cause. Like she'd go there on a Saturday night. She wanna just I'm home, let's go hang out. I'm free. I mean not home. I'm I'm free on a Saturday. Let's Go to the casino and go to the comedy show. I see who's there. Say hi to the staff, you know. 
And we would just sit there and watch comedy. And I realized they laugh at what's funny to them. <laughs> and it's not like it's, it's another yeah. language because it's, it's more of an old, older people. They've already lived all the, they don't need to hear pussy. Sex is good enough. <laughs> but you, you're not going to surprise me with a sex joke, though. You're not going to shock me. Like, I've done that already. Like, yeah. these guys are over 40. They're over 50. They don't, you're not going to really get me going with a pussy joke. Like, unless it's really funny. <laughs> but you can't just talk about pussy. Like, come on, man. That's my daughter's 17. Like, I, you know, those guys are different. They can laugh. They, they've heard comedy. They've done the Carlson. I mean, uh, George Carlin. Sorry. They've done George yeah. Carlin. They've seen Robin Williams. They've seen Whoopi Goldberg. They are, they, the legends is, <laughs> are burnt into their uh, lexicon of comedy. And right. here you are thinking that you're changing the game. It's like, no, you're not too edgy. You're just not funny. And like a lot of times people wouldn't want to try and change up to be universally funny. Like you can tell the same topic, just give everybody context. Like if you want to talk about something that you only you go through, then give it an analogy to show that everybody's gone through it, just not this, but they can keep up. A lot of comics go up there and they start talking their shit like everybody lives this life like them. And yeah. the comedy zone taught me these motherfuckers, like these motherfuckers laughing at jokes. The, the good ones. <laughs> like they came to laugh at the good jokes. They don't laugh at just jokes. Yeah. I mean, they're, they paid to be there. They're paying the tickets. And it's so, time. If I sat down and there's that, that comfortable ass room and you, you better keep me awake. My mama fell asleep. My mama fell asleep at a show. All those chairs. Oh, those she fell asleep to the point I got nervous because the comic was being nice. He went, you know, he didn't turn on her. He just said, I'm doing that bad. She fell asleep. And then my mom has slumped. First, like, is she alive? And I'm like, whoa, no, no, no. She better be. <laughs> and then she had like dropped down and her head went back up. I said, oh, God. Because I said, my mama died here. This is not a time. Like, I don't want my mama to die in fucking Roxino, like at a show. Like, I'll never do comedy again. That shit would have fucked my whole day up. Like, I would have been done with comedy. I would never, I wouldn't watch Netflix or nothing. I'd be like, man, like, I'm a comedy and me as a source. But, like, well, John, you don't do comedy no more? It took my mother. Like, like <laughs> but nah, she woke up and I'm like, oh shit, yeah. And I'm like, damn, like, oh, yes, that's the MC's mom? I said, oh yeah, she's seen a lot of comedy. She's falling asleep to me. That shit does a lot. And she told, she said that she fell asleep at an Earth, Wind, and Fire concert and she just falls asleep when she sleeps. Like, I mean, when she gets, when she stopped moving, that's it's it. gonna happen. <laughs> But I'm like, damn, that's some funny shit. She fell asleep in the front row in a nice seat. They try to be nice to me and give her a good seat. I'm like, no, <laughs> you get her on the right couch. She is going to bed. <laughs> I'm like, damn it, that's funny. Oh, man, this is embarrassing but hilarious. But they, they laugh, though, because they'll laugh at some jokes. Cause... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I asked my mother about a gay dude. Uh, no, he ain't just a gay dude, but like, uh, First gay man I met was one of her friends, and he had a nickname. I was wondering how he got that nickname because it's, it's very, I don't want to say anything because it's a family friend, but it's just a really sure. funny nickname out of context. So I asked her, and she dies laughing at my description. It's like, no, I didn't mean that. He, didn't, he wasn't gay till he went to college. Like, he didn't tell us, we, we just called him that as a kid. I said, oh, okay. Like, yeah, when he came, he went to school in San Francisco, and he moved here and moved there. And I said, oh, okay. It's okay. He found himself. <laughs> so that nickname did not the nickname was just a part of that wasn't part of it it had no impact but the nickname sounded like a dude you call it was a mean ass <laughs> nickname out of context and I'm like okay so she gets a joke she understands because I didn't have to break it down too far I, I was very vague 
about the gay insult. She's like, it didn't mean that. I said, okay, because she knows that. That shit ain't new. She, she was the woman with the gay friend. Like, the fuck she knew? The, <laughs> like, so it's not like it's new. They've lived their lives. They got a gay friend. They know about gay shit. Pryor right. was gay. We just, we watched, well, we love RuPaul since we was born. RuPaul been famous the whole fucking time. We acting like transgender is confusing. Right. How, nigga? RuPaul has been popping since the 80s. <laughs> like, work? Yeah. Like, we all know work. Like, come on, man. Cover girl. Yeah. Like, nigga, shut the fuck up. You know this shit ain't new. Laverne Cox <laughs> is the uglier RuPaul. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's so true. And like, yeah. ugh, like she, does that. she ain't this cute. Like, <laughs> neither are fuckable, by the way, for you misquote me. Neither are fuckable. But it's like, at least RuPaul put a little effort into it. You're like, all right, at least she shaved. <laughs> Laverne Cox had that five o'clock shadow sometimes. You're like, all right, long haired nigga. <laughs> it's like you're making you're you're making them look bad you're making the pronouns look bad dude cut that like put your fucking foundation on quit being lazy (laughs) i'm sorry i hope that's not homophobic it's not homophobic i hope that doesn't bash anything it's bashing her makeup and how she has a five o'clock shadow like I, I, I kept the pronoun intact. I'm just saying, God damn, man! I'm like, you, you yeah. don't see them razor, but like, if you don't get that Fred Flintstone off your face, <laughs> <laughs> gotta, you gotta shave. Yeah, you gotta shave. You can't be out here, clean be up. in the cover, be on, be on the cover for Woman of the Year. You better fucking wax that shit every time. Now you got a title to uphold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't. No, okay. I asked her about that time. I mean, at the time, I asked her about the name, and she told me that it wasn't ahead of his time. He, like, it just as a nickname. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, these people, these old people here, I'm going to be old. I, You can't tell me shit about a joke. Can't nobody offend me. They can annoy me with their bad jokes, though. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of comedy. So <laughs> I'll go to I, a comedy club in my 60s and be like, this shit is garbage. You know, the the one time that killed me there, um, Cleveland Comedy Festival did shows there one year, mm-hmm. and I went and uh, like ran the shows because I think we did one or two nights, and so I went there and emceed or did the shows, and there were a bunch of younger comics that year in their I don't know early mid twenties or whatever, and they are they're all going up one after the other telling these jokes that are bombing with the audience and it's like three comics in a row and they're trying to talk about dating app jokes <laughs> and like these people don't understand dating apps and they like all right shit's not working they understand it well, they just they don't do, respect do it you, like they like my yeah, mother knows about online dating but she thinks it's weird yeah you gotta ex- you gotta explain you gotta explain the element to that like i said you gotta explain the element to them that you're going to try to bring the punchline around to so that they're on board with you. And these guys, they weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. And then this, this dude gets up there and tries to do a joke about Yelp of all things. And I'm just like, do you think after all those dating app jokes did not work <laughs> that your Yelp joke is going to be the one that breaks through to this crowd of 65 year old plus people <laughs> like no and that to me was like the perfect example of like change your shit like you just watched you just watched three people bomb <laughs> with you know similar generational material and 
It's mm-hmm. you know, we're when you're starting out, and even now for us, like you can't. I hate when people. I shouldn't say I hate. I mean, I guess there's an element of respect to it, but also like just deal with it. You know, people who are so stuck on like, well, I'm going to be a niche comic and I'm going to have my <laughs> own audience and they're going to love me for me. It's like, motherfucker, until you are on Netflix. And even then that's not a given, right? As, as we know, like until you're some household name, you're not a niche, anything. Nobody's going to give a shit about you. Yeah, where are you going to, you, where are you going to find that niche audience? You know? So like when you're first going at it and even longer, You've got to appeal to as broad of an audience as possible. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. That's that's the nature of this beast. And if you can't deal with it, I I don't know. You're not going to make it, I guess. I mean, it, maybe it's a little bit easier now because of internet stuff, but it's still not that much easier. I don't think it's easier. I think comics can... I think it's harder to have a hard no. So before, if you went, if you try to do comedy, and Lee told you fuck off, and I think John was booking at Hilarities back when I when I first started, if they both said fuck off, or even Felicia, if she was booking it, if they said fuck off, you really just had to sit down and wait. Um, as time's gone on, kids don't accept the word no. Like they think they're really a star. You just don't know it yet. So a comic get told no by a booker. And say, I'm going to start my own thing. It's like, well, that only works in rare cases of really great people. Like some people, they do make a mistake. And the mistakes we hear about. But they're usually right as fuck about these no's. (laughs) (laughs) Like if they never let you in, take the fucking hint. If it's been six years and you've been trying to get their attention. They know you exist. They've read your email and they fucking not replied it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean... I I don't know if you know this. So uh, I I did a character at one point very early on, and it was based upon I I went to college, I went to Miami, Ohio, and there were so many douchebag dudes there wearing double polos mm. and popping their collars, <laughs> and the top one was always pink, and they'd always wear like the armbands on their forearm. And so I would, I did this. I dressed up like that to go on stage and everything I did was in the character of these, all these people that I was surrounded by and couldn't stand. And I created this thing for like, uh, I mean, almost a year. So much so that again, Bill Squire had uh, one of the first times I think, or maybe I had met him before, but uh, we were after a show at Funny Stop. I didn't do the show. I was just there. And we were hanging out across the hall. And he goes, I would, goes, you were just at Go Bananas two weeks ago, right? I go, yeah. He goes, I was just there this week. I went down there to close out their show or something, like their Wednesday show. And he goes, and people asked me two weeks later, they're still talking about you because they didn't know if that was really a character or if that was really you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, that's a problem. Like, I got to make it a point to, talk to comics which i thought i was but i guess if you the only interaction you saw was on stage you wouldn't know but at the funny stop i started getting i got a couple mc gigs and this is where i learned that lesson like you can't sorry early on you just can't be a niche thing like i opened up for the grandma from hell i know you're talking about and 
all she had is a NASCAR crowd. That's it. That's all they cared about was all her redneck stuff. So here I am with two polos, the top one pink. I got this armband. I got my collars popped. They didn't know what the fuck that was about. They had no mm. clue. But here I am trying to be this douchebag character and no laughs, zero laughs. I thought this is the last time Pete will ever give me stage time. And, but it was after that night. I was like, you know what? I probably can't really do this anymore because if if you want to get work starting out, the crowd that you're going to get is really based upon who the headliner is. And mm-hmm. if you're just emceeing or even featuring, like uh, that's going to be your audience. So you better appeal to them because because you make need it. to be. <laughs> I used to always get mad when comics would talk, like a new comic would try and talk to me about comedy, but they're saying all the terms they've heard from a, a comedian in a podcast. But they don't really know how to apply <laughs> it to. It's like the forty year old forty year old virgin when they talk about what titties feel like. Yeah, and, you know, it comes like yeah, I'm trying some new stuff. I said you never recorded a fucking thing. You don't have people who know your jokes, nigga. Stop saying you're doing new shit. You're just doing shit. Yeah. <laughs> like fucking, please stop. Come on, yeah. <laughs> you know I gotta do my. I gotta do the new stuff. The new stuff, nigga. You just got stuff. It's just yeah. stuff. Stop saying new stuff. You haven't done this long enough in a place where people seen you more than once. Right. Like the bar don't count. Those aren't regulars for you. They don't pay you any attention. They got they got a favorite joke even if you got bar regulars. They'll shout the joke out they want you to do. Comedy club, like, yo, give me some new shit. Because you now gave them some shit. <laughs> Dude, it's it's so funny because, like, you know, you have jokes on you, the crowd work show. And, and I love that because, for me, the thing I love about being able to do longer sets, but it's a, it's a catch-22 when you're the feature act, right? Like, I love crowd work. For me, I love the fact that I could do a show for an audience and maybe I come down and I did a quarter to a half of my material and the rest of it was just bullshitting with that crowd and they had a great time because that exact crowd can come back to see me again and it's a whole new experience. And mm-hmm. like, that's my niche goals. Like, man, I would love to just go be a headliner. And the majority of my set is just having a great time with the audience. These people paid to come have a great time. And eventually the, you know, they're paying because they know I'm going to give them that great time. <laughs> like, that's what I want. But as a feature, you have to toe that line because you don't want to get them so comfortable that they're talking out during that headliner set. Yeah, you know, once- so like it becomes... I've never seen a, a feature really crush a show with a with a real hairliner, but I have seen them fuck up the timing for the hairliner for a while. Like if you do do a feature set and you got your twenty five and you're talking to the artist at last ten, you're just asking questions because you really fucked up and you don't want to admit it. So you're just trying yeah. to make the best of it. In turn, you now sync the show because now the hairliner got to go up there and adapt to what you're doing. Yeah, sure, the headliner should have to, have to adapt, but really, if they came for the headliner, he's giving them a show he prepared already. So it's kind of, it depends who you ask as far as should it be a headliner will always make um, make the best of it. Well, if you did my material, um, you didn't, ain't no making the best of that besides firing you <laughs> off the fucking show. Yeah. Like, I'm going <laughs> to fix my problem. You are the problem. It's not like the crowd 
was too smart for me. You fucking stepped on a lot of my punchlines being clever. And it's like, all right, I, I've seen yeah. it. But yeah. <laughs> like, you don't want to be that, that guy, could, but. Right. Well, and, and even like, if you don't necessarily run out, even if you have enough time, but you just get carried away and, and you have, you know, you like, you like, you love messing around with an audience too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes we get caught up in that, but you have to be so cognizant of it depending on who you're working with, because if you get caught up in that crowd, now that crowd feels like they can get caught up in doing that with the headliner too. And that's not the case because you have some headliners who are like, uh, this is my set. I go from A to Z and I do not deviate. <laughs> so that's how it's going to go. So if people start shouting out and even, even if it's, you know, well meant, man, some, some headliners get real pissed real fast. So like, it's it, it's great to be able to do those longer sets, but also it's still it's it's so interesting because it's still not always necessarily how you want to do them. Comedy's a fickle game, man. You you got to be willing to <laughs> you got to be willing to do it all. Oh yeah, you can't have a plan and think you're going to stick to the plan like you have control. It's yeah. uh, it's respecting the crowd. That's all you really can do is respect the crowd. Because I know it's been many times where when I first started. Especially at the Roxino, I would complain about them not getting it, and it's like, well, is it really their fault? Because they they laughed at the other two people. <laughs> like you're like, hey, this crowd sucks. Then you hear that big laugh from the feature. You're like, oh, yeah, I should be emceeing. Like you know, all that ambition, all that blindedness by titles. You get out your way. Like you stop thinking, I'm gonna be a feature. No, I'm gonna be a better comic. So this shit don't happen to me again. Where they looking at us like. Yeah, you definitely keep up. You don't want to have nobody give you words of encouragement at the end of the show. Yeah. And there there are, let's be real, there are bad audiences. They do exist. It, it does happen every once in a while where you get a crowd that for some reason is so tense and so tight. But they don't they laugh don't, at everybody else then. If they laugh at, if it's like, yes. say it's, if you in a feature in a hairliner and the feature in a hairliner are just fine. It's you. If you're on a showcase where there's five other people and they all get hard laughs during their set and you get uh, crickets. It's you. It's you. Like, you can't keep... Oh, yeah. You really... If they came to the fucking room and sat down and knew it was comedy coming next, it's on you. (laughs) Like, as long as they're letting you talk, it's on you. You know, you know what else the Roxino taught me. I don't know if you caught, if you saw this or caught this, but like, because they're older people, uh, a lot of the older folks, and I know the stereotypes a little bit, but have a tendency to laugh, but it's not loud. Mm-hmm. So like, they give you you, so you really have to look, and if you see those shoulders bouncing. And shrugging, but you're not hearing anything. But you see that, and you see the smiles. You're like, okay, I I have them. They're just not audible <laughs> laughers, and you you got that a lot there. It was just one of those things. But if you could at least see the movements of people and their shadows that they're enjoying themselves, and you see those shoulders going up and down, and the the chest breathing heavy, or you know, people mimicking to one another, like you you knew you had them and it's like it, it helped you work through, you know, some people work for that audible laugh, but you, sometimes you just don't, 
you just don't get it because that's not what they do. Yeah, because sometimes it was like that here where, uh, not here, but at that show, I would be at the um, Roxino, and yeah. you would realize, <laughs> like, this is all on me. <laughs> like, this crowd, they came to, because they, they would come <laughs> to hear jokes. Like, they, they literally love jokes. Any club you're in, they do. They love jokes. Like whether the hairline or not, it's they they love jokes. Like people came out, they know where they're at. Even at bars, if they turn to you to hear something and you are trash to them, they're gonna turn away. Like the, uh, there is no niche, yeah. especially when you're in one city. Like you gotta go across, you gotta go through this shit for at least a couple years, like almost a decade before you realize what your real niche is. I mean, you can have an audience is a big thing, but until you like really have those types of fans, people say, oh, that's the type of fan that you love. Like, you can see them and say, oh, yeah, you like so-and-so. Yeah. Like, you can recognize them. It's a little different, but we don't really have... I can't think of one comic in my lifetime, in my lifetime of comedy here as a comedian where they had a fan they could type, like, oh, yeah, they're a fan of so-and-so. Like there's a Cleveland like, comic. Uh, like, the big names, like, you got your Pokes. Poke doesn't have a person. You're like, yeah, he's a Poke fan. Squire yeah. doesn't have a Poke, like a Squire fan. Uh, Mary know. doesn't have a Mary fan. Like, you can't, Mary doesn't have all white women. <laughs> like, it's not like, she's she's not really a niche, but she, she doesn't have a type of fan. Like, people just like her. Like, you can be anything. She still just she, got fans. She didn't really yeah. cut them out and just, she hasn't sold out on the one <laughs> But I, I feel like if you go to a Squire or Mary show and um, and this... I, you won't I have black people up. there. That's the only thing you really can like <laughs> depend on. Like, you don't have a black person really there, but... Well, I know I'm bringing up uh, bad juju, but like the same was true for Zumok when he was here. Like if you'd go to one of those shows, you do know who knows them from the radio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Radio fans, but... Yeah, right? But in terms of terrestrial terrestrial radio. Fans, like, yeah. yeah, they're not totally iHeart yet, so she's still going to yeah. have Cleveland. She got... Her fans are Cleveland, which is just yeah. a city. It's not really like... Like, I know black guys that think she's hilarious. I know women who like her, black women who like her. It's like she isn't just a niche yet. Like, she can become that. Right. When she gets bigger, you can start tailoring your jokes to the people who pay the money and I just come see you but the people who pay for the other shit they pay for you yeah like that's when you, you get there but there aren't anybody so it's like when you see somebody who just started trying to tell you yeah I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take my fans <laughs> and just we're gonna build an <laughs> empire okay we'll take your fan <laughs> I don't I don't think I ever want a niche is that so weird to say no i don't i mean i know i'm not for everybody but i don't want to i yeah, don't alienate sure. people i don't really attack people my voice attacks you but i'm not really saying hurtful things i'll call laverne cox right. a, a long-haired nigga but i mean proof is in the pudding <laughs> I, can, but I, I can defend it i'm not saying i'm against trans people because i'm telling you rupaul is always on laverne cox is lazy yeah <laughs> no one likes a lazy woman <laughs> not with your appearance that's, that's, <laughs> like Big Frida's yeah, hair his nails are always done you never see Big Frida on an off day Big Frida <laughs> I'm just saying these names that you just uh, oh, I be knowing that dumb some, shit I, like I watch sometimes. all that shit I watch uh, Laverne Cox be funny <laughs> try to be funny Big Frida's had a show <laughs> on uh, I forget the fucking network it was on 
I watched uh, half a season on a fucking marathon. I was sick. <laughs> it was just on. I'm like, I'll watch it. It's, her mom died, and I was sad. I watched the whole goddamn episode. I mean, the whole little block of episodes. And I'm like, oh, man, you going to make me want to see what happens. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do have to thank you for letting me do the jokes on you thing because uh, I had multiple Cleveland comics come up to me afterwards. And I always love when this happens. But I got the, hey, I didn't know that you were also a comic. Oh, I thought you just ran the Cleveland so Comedy Festival. I want to fight little niggas when they say that to me all the time. I want to be like, man, who the fuck? <laughs> How did you find out about me then, man? Are you serious? I was like, uh, yeah. and then, But I also was like, you know, I I uh, did the Friday shows here at the festival with Shane Torres. But, uh, I mean, you weren't here for it, which is fine. But, like, even then, there were people who only had found out because they were at that, like people who came on Friday and or Sunday and everybody and coming up to me after the festival. I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I do this, which that happens. And then it comes, goes, which is funny. I don't know. Cleveland is such a weird, weird city because years ago when I was doing at the time up late with Steve guy, instead of happy hour with Steve guy. And I was focusing in on that. I had people who thought I was quitting stand-up comedy because I was trying to branch out and also do this other thing. And I was like, no. <laughs> like the, the very basis of that show is comedy. And I'm not only doing that for me, but I'm also trying to create this vehicle for all of us who work hard and do something. And the hope is that, you know, more eyes are on more of us. And this is a way to do it. Like, why the hell aren't we supporting each other? And then there was a year where I got so much work that I hardly did any mics because, you know, when you get enough work, even though you're writing, you're able to, um, you're able to put something that's brand new to you. You're able to sneak it in to a set and see how it goes. You don't need to necessarily go to an open mic. In many ways, that's better because you have a real comedy audience in front of you. But I showed up to LVT for the first time and it would have been almost a year. And somebody came up to me then like, man, we thought you quit comedy. We haven't seen you in forever. And I was like, dude, like what? I was like, I was, no, I was off getting paid to do comedy. Like, is that not the goal here? Like, I remember I met a new comic like that. I met a new comic and uh, he had met me the Monday before at Grog Shop. And I didn't go up. I just was there fucking around i didn't want to go up i was very just i want to drink tonight (laughs) (laughs) and he saw me in at lvt like maybe two or three weeks later and was feeling himself like he thought he was the funniest dude out like oh i know you told that was was pretty funny man i know you told jokes too i said man i didn't know you i didn't know you did comedy either my nigga like (laughs) like because we're being honest uh yeah self-assessments i didn't know you did comedy either man like you don't want to be an asshole to those people. But yes, you do. Fuck them. What the hell? I'm tired of new kids thinking they just discovered the wheel. Like, nigga, it's cars that came out here since the 1900s. Yeah. We had cars. Because, like, at the same time, don't be coming up to me saying that, but then also sending me a million requests on Facebook to like your pages or come to your shows just because you invite every single person in comic that you know. It's like, all right, if you're going to do that, you better fucking pay attention to what I'm doing. You know, like I had somebody asking me for advice as somebody that I consider myself to be 
pretty good friends with, but they wanted to maybe start a podcast and we're considering it. And we're asking me about the happy hour show that you you're a part of and that we do. And they're like, Oh, well, do you, um, do you record it straight to YouTube? Because, you know, because that's a thing and this and that. And I'm like, and it, it hit me after so many questions. Like, have you even watched my show? <laughs> Cause if you've watched it, like, hey, quit calling that a podcast because it's not. There's a podcast element that I do, and that's strictly a podcast. It's just an interview that I pull from that show. But the show that we do on YouTube is not a podcast. Like, it's a talk slash variety show. And like, if you had watched it, you would clearly see that there is no way in hell I recorded that thing right to YouTube. <laughs> it's, there are so many edits and different elements to the, what we're doing. Like, no, it's a... <laughs> I, it's, it's nothing as close to, to a real fucking show as you could get. I hate the fake uh, questions. It's like the uh, it was an ongoing joke here. You know, it was a who books that, which every every comedy scene has that yeah. ongoing thing. But that's pretty much what comics would kind of ask questions. Like it would be like a fake. Hey man, how you doing? Uh, I saw you were in blankety blank recently. Uh, who did you talk to? to how'd you get that gig? <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time that happened to me. I snapped. I snapped so fast. I said, "Let me tell you something." You will not be doing that, bro. <laughs> it's like, I can't help you. I don't know why you're asking me any questions. They're not just letting anybody in the place. I know you might feel that way about me. Like, if John got it, I should be able to do it. They, if they like him, they're going to love me. Whatever the fuck you think, but this is not that. <laughs> like, take your notebook and cram it up your ass because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing. Nope. They they won't never, they'll never know your name. <laughs> and there's, there's so much of people doing that and like wanting to get information out of you but they're never going to come back around and help you in any way oh, they can't help you that's the worst part it's like the worst thing is they couldn't help you if the, they can help you do anything well now sometimes you do get those people who could help you and and just don't uh you know that does happen at yeah. times like there are you know as people who run rooms you know what i mean like as guys who have ran rooms and like paid like we've ran paid shows right and we can we can pay somebody to come in and headline it like that person could in turn be like you know what dude really appreciate this uh i'm gonna throw you a gig or two or something in return as thanks or help you in some form or way or even if it's hey i have a friend that's really funny who could um, headline your show that people know and, you know, elevate it to the next level or at least keep it on this same hype level that it's on. Mm -hmm. And those people won't, you know, and you have people like that who just won't do that stuff. Very simple, but won't. But they really want that from you. So it's like, it seems like no matter what level you are in this comedy game, there's, I don't know, ungrateful and shitty people on both sides you got people people that are trying to be on the come up who want something from you and people who just are greedy and see that you you're doing something so it's like hey let me get a little piece of that pie but i'm not gonna give you anything of what oh, i'm yeah. eating here like, once they see that oh yeah uh you got to that club over in nebraska i want i always wanted to get to nebraska and do comedy it's like no shit i remember uh <laughs> i had and this one, I realized this from uh, the booker telling me. Um, I told them that a comic wanted to get into the club. 
And the booker on Granite Face said, no shit. Every comic wants to get in this club. I said, huh, you know what? I, it, it, you're damn, yeah. I mean, I hit him like, I don't got to tell this nigga that people are trying to get into the club. They know. Like, what the fuck? I feel like a jackass. Like, he's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> he told me so matter of factly. I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course you would know. If anybody would know, it'd be the nigga not answering the emails. Like, <laughs> like of course you know everybody. I'm like trying to give him some new, fresh news. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's one thing. I love how comics don't know how this, this shit doesn't work. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to keep performing here in this bar. And they gonna come calling. It's gonna oh, they gonna hear about me. The legend of me is gonna be out here. I'm gonna kill one Wednesday and woo wee. They gonna they, I don't got no email address for shit, but they gonna find me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's you know, that's been my favorite thing about having um a producer on the happy hour show because like he finds the interviews most of the time. So like I don't have to give out favors mm. you know like i really don't because it's just and i can easily be like i have somebody who books this and i love that i love that i don't have to now like i kind of have a say in it and of course it's like what do you think is you think you have a good conversation with them yeah cool yeah absolutely but like i don't have to worry about dealing with that stuff and i love it it's it's so great but then i get you know, I get to pick and choose who I want to be a part of it in the other ways, like having you and Damon do your stuff with it. And but that's that's the trust that I have with you guys that's built up. So that's an easy thing to say to people too. Like, oh, could I do something like that? Like, listen, <laughs> I have this trust factor with John and Damon built up over oh, a decade. So like, like, I popped on you. Your, I do the, the um, happy hour and I do the Squire show. Bill Squire yeah. show. Like, I just pop up on some, hey man, uh, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, I, I forgot I had that content till I was trying to get stuff, like organize it. And I'm like, oh, this quarantine hasn't been too bad for me. I've I've had some things I've still, I can show some shit. I'm not, I'm not dead in the water yet. <laughs> right. But it's, it's but beautiful. Yeah, I, I wish I, we'll talk about this after this. I wish I talk about this. I'm going it's going to be just a different, just off topic. So we're going, to, we're going to stop the show here. This is great. We gave enough comics, enough silver linings and tongue in cheek inside baseball. Uh, we both, <laughs> me and Steve guys history is, uh, we both <laughs> ran to good rooms and having a good room is a lot harder than having just a room Cleveland. Cause these yeah. having a room, you can do that shit forever. You have a good room. It's like, man, people gonna get mad cause they can't perform at your show. It's like, yo man, everybody, no shit. I, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, yeah. a grog shop be packed with. Can I get some time, nigga? It is already nine o'clock. It's a Monday. I'm ending the show at nine thirty. I got too many people as is. You wait till now to say something. I've been walking around here all fucking day, and you think now's the time to ask me? You'll never make it. <laughs> it's like, go to a comedy club and ask the <laughs> motherfucking com- um, Booker. Hey, I know you're in the middle of the fucking night. And you got to do a checks in the restaurant part. But can I uh, follow my dream right now? Like, nigga. <laughs> I, I'm i tooting my own horn real quick before we hate this talk. Oh, go ahead. Uh, like, you know how roast battles have become a popular thing kind of in the Cleveland comedic mindset? Yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but Jeremy Shearer can attest to it because I jokingly said something to him. I did that shit 
first at the Euclid Tavern. We called it the Comedy Smackdown, and I had my whole sound system set up because of karaoke, and I would play like wrestler music for you to the stage, and there were rounds, and you went back and forth at each other, and I had a fucking title belt that I gave to people. And Jeremy Shrew was like, yeah, I, I mean, I got it from you, and right straight down to having a title belt. I'm like, you motherfucker. I'm like, well, but that's cool. I appreciate that you could say that. So like, when people again when people are like oh, i didn't know you did comedy it's like i've had this shit i've been ahead of the game on oh, i would say i'm the fuck i i tell people i'm the glue <laughs> i'm a dickhead now i just I don't, i'm the glue like oh, i know you still i'm the glue ask you know ask somebody else they'll tell you about me by now here oh definitely like that's why i got kind of mad at the little mag the magazine thing like hold on again i don't get i don't get <laughs> again? that shit i do now, this year like this year's like hold on Ain't that much? Happy. Like the first three months, you can kiss my ass, nigga. I was doing, <laughs> I was doing just fine. The first three months, from January to March, oh, suck my dick. I was up there, top five. Yeah, give me that spot. I get that's a five. People, that's people lobbying to their Facebook I friends. Don't and care. It's, it's the same Logic. as why we don't do the contest anymore. Married in lobby. Mary should be on the list. Squire should be on the it. list. I, yeah, but they also have that much larger audience. Terrestrially, I got a, my large audience. Is monthly show that is all. I'm the only annual show. <laughs> I get. But there are also people who have probably never seen Bill and Mary do stand up mm-hmm. that will put them on that list. That's fair. Bill and Mary should be on and, that show. And Polk and Polk again. Polk is like Eddie Murphy. You don't that know. I fuck with Polk heavy. I love him. I love him. Not 2020. Not 2019. No. He didn't. I don't. Did he do anything in 2020? Twenty except for Channel Three. No. That's what I'm saying. Polk, no. Polk don't get that he didn't fucking even, spot. He, I don't think I don't think he even did uh his hilarities show in 2020. Polk is a commercial. Like Polk would do a, a call in. Like Polk for his the Polk show, he would do a video for it. That ain't that's not still beating John's January through March or whatever fucking year you want to start. Wanna do October, March? How long you wanna do this? <laughs> like what are your statistics besides what? Like Jimmy's getting busy. Jimmy had a show. Somebody, like, whatever characteristics Jimmy had to get on this list. Well, I did the same. I, I checked the same boxes as, as Jim Jim. So I like Jim Jim up there. He helped produce Polk Show for God's sakes. So Polk and the other dude. I'm like the other dude. I'm like man, fuck that nigga. I don't care what you tell me. I don't. <laughs> whoever this, whoever what your <laughs> name is, the fuck is this? Who? How? <laughs> like I had this. I had this. I don't know his name, and I won't learn it either. Whoever the fuck. This what's his, what's his, his name? I, don't I think it's a him. No, I don't I know really who the person is. Uh, you know the Cleveland Comedy Awards, which I love that they're doing, and I think it's great, and it's a fun night out, and and everything, and I, and I just think the whole concept is fun. But I don't put a ton of stock into winning or losing that stuff either, for the same reason. Like I said, you know, when people you don't show up to an open mic for almost a year because you're a working comic and people think like you don't do mm-hmm. comedy anymore. So they wouldn't put you on that list. It's like, well, I know that I'm better, but whatever but you were. But you this year I can't. Host. I, Wait, I had, I had a great argument for that host thing because I was like, all right, let me break this down. I'm not nominated for host either, but I get a ton of working gigs as a comedian. I got obviously feature gigs and stuff, but I could host shows. I would host certain things for the Cleveland Comedy Festival. I was booking shows at the Alex Theater as a host, you know, and I would host those all the time. And through that, I became uh, 
a pro wrestling ring announcer that hosts that entire evening and event. And I uh, hosted a game show at the Alex Theater because I was so good at comedy and hosting events. And then I got a job at Quicken Loans Arena during Monsters <laughs> games because I'm such a good host and comedian and everything. But that was, you, you were like, you're like, I'm the best host in this motherfucker. And you couldn't, I do make them laugh Mondays and you could have put me as a host. You did this whole thing in the mm-hmm. Cleveland comedy uh, Facebook group page and and you're like, and, and I'm because of make them laugh money. And I was like, mm, I could say it. I, you I'm should have, away. though, because my thing you, is, it wasn't attacking <laughs> comedians. It was attacking the establishment that is just getting these yeah. niggas grades. Like, hey, man, you're going to include them. You got to really do your research and explain to me how you ignored me. The same way like, they're like, how, how I ignore you? Because even I saw that shit. I don't, you would post it. It'd be a real quick post. It, I saw it. I read it. I'm I like, used to yeah. be quiet about this stuff. Fuck that. I right guess, now, think about it. Yeah. It's, it's bums being loud. Why the fuck are you being quiet? What, you, what, you, you got integrity for that shit, my nigga? You feel where's better? It, where's, it, where's it got me? I don't you know. You sleep better yeah. being a humble? <laughs> I sleep Being terribly. a humble king? How that shit work out for you? You get stabbed in the back enough yet to start realizing you got to cut these niggas' heads off? I've been stabbed in the back a lot. Yeah, it's like, oh, I can do what Steve Guy does. It's like, what? No. The f- okay. Or die trying, nigga. Like, that's how I feel. <laughs> Like, I can do what John does or die trying. Have at it. Get yours. Go ahead, sweetie. Go ahead and get it. I love when... I, I remember when uh, me and another comic would make jokes about this. Comics would hit up the comics we were working with and ask to feature for them. <laughs> like, like they would ask, like, me and another comic, because we're going to get... I'm going to talk to you regular in a minute. But a comic, me and him were friends, and we were talking about how many different comics have hit our headliners up to try to take our job, like really asking him, saying, hey, fuck that nigga's money. You give me a chance. <laughs> and it's like, you do understand that we're not just, he's my boss, but he's also a friend. And you just try to say, fuck my whole career. And you wanted my job. Well, you called another person and said, fire him, hire me. And you, you think I want to be nice to you ever again. <laughs> it's like chase your uh, dream yeah but don't cr- don't crush mine like you, it's a lot of other comics you can hit up don't do this don't make it personal that's happened that's happened oh that's me. gonna happen think about me people, somebody ran your room after you I think you let him know yeah I, I let him and he ran it into the ground I mean yeah that's gonna and happen they don't know what the, they don't know the secret sauce <laughs> oh but he didn't take any faults or blame for it and then he thought that it was like the venue and somebody else hit him up to run a room at the same exact time at a different spot. And I got pissed and he didn't say anything to me or the Euclid Tavern. It was like, if you want to stop doing comedy and I'm like, that's fine. We'll either stop it or I'll take it back over again or something, but don't be hitting these people up that wanted to come here and be on the show or sending out invites to people that you added because they were audience at the show to get them to go to your other thing. Like, what the fuck? And then not say anything about it. Man, that pissed me off. And I told him too. Like, because people told him that I was pissed about it and he showed up and uh, and he came to talk to me one day at the Euclid Tavern. And, uh, and I said, let me tell you something, dude. I said, I'm glad you waited like you did. <laughs> That's because you'd be through that fucking window right there if you would come when yeah, I found out about this. <clears throat> sometimes I, I was furious. When a person makes that move to try to 
cut your throat. And it's like, dude, you just tried to cut my throat for $20. And yeah. And what I realized is like that dude isn't a, he's not a bad dude. Like that was a case of, he just didn't, he didn't know. But he liked like opportunity. He like he's an opportunist. Yeah. Cause I remember one time yeah. when uh, we had, it was the, the showcase. He would all, he was the first guy I ever heard say some hateful shit. Like he was, I was hosting one of them. And he like, oh man, I ain't know you. Like, I wish you had car trouble or something. I'm like, why is that? Okay, if you didn't show it up, they'd let me do it. <laughs> How about you just get fucking next month, man? Like, what the fuck are you? Why are you trying to prey on other people's <laughs> misfortune for you to finally come up? Just, but I mean, I get where he was coming from. Like, he's he had the doggy dog attitude, and it was like, Nigga, we are still trying to get into this door. Like, we're in line at the, yeah. at, the at the store. Yeah. You ain't got to really cut line. You just. They'll see you in a minute. Like it's not, this is not that time. Yeah. Like, hey, let's work at this together. And it was fine. Like we had a, we, we had that conversation and, uh, and it was, it, it was cool. We're, it's like, it's fine after that. There are bigger names too, that have uh, basically fucked me over <laughs> in terms of for opportunity and money. And yeah, that's, that's all stuff too. And I just, I try to make that water under the bridge and I'm like, it is, you know, I, you can either, you can either just allow it to happen or you, I think that you can keep working hard and be like, all right, but I'm going to get mine. And then like, I ended up better in the end. So I was like, right, I'm over it. <laughs> I mean, I, I stopped, I still hold grudges, but I don't have it. I make sure it doesn't distract me. Like I still make yeah. sure I I don't <laughs> I do it where I don't even when I fall off I don't want to fall that far. Like some people yeah. I just want to pass them and I'm never going that low. Like if I if I stop tomorrow I'm never going to be that fucking I won't be that. Long as I'm not going to be that, I'm cool. And you just wonder like are these people so consumed that I'm I'm always I know that we were going to end this like 20 <laughs> minutes ago but I'm always one of those people who's going to try to step back and see everything as possible because then I like, are these people so consumed that they don't even realize they just did wrong by me? Because I think if you sat them down and you presented it as, Hey, you can do this. And, and I appreciate you bringing me like if, if I'm in charge. Right. And, and somebody brings this idea to me and like, I'm the guy that you knew, like I'm the comic who's trying to fuck you over for your opportunity. If I was that manager and I'm like, Hey, sure. We'll run with your opportunity. But just so you know, you doing this is going to fuck over your dude, John here, who helped bring you to this table. Are you cool with that? And I think that directness <laughs> will click with a lot of these people like, Oh shit. Well, if mm. they're, if they're decent humans, they'll be like, I don't I, think they would care. A, I think if you, if you brought up to them and told them, Hey, you know what you're doing is wrong. They'd be like, okay, okay. It's wrong. Cause you told them, but they know it's wrong when they fucking, yeah, it's a shameless business, but I mean, we're not going to, this is a whole, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the part of like the parts we see of people who just at the lowest level, try to just do some, some cutthroat shit. It's like, yeah, that's Nope. Mm -mm. That's a whole other conversation on a whole other podcast when it comes to <laughs> fuck this business. Like that's different. That's a different. One. This is bad shows and and bad experiences on stage and crowd understanding and that shit is a part of it where it's like, man, look, 
no matter how good you are, if nobody likes you, <laughs> if nobody pushes your name forward, you are just the best nigga at this bar. If you ain't got nobody trying to look out for you, you're just a bar comic. There's no term for that. You're an open micer. This, this is behind the paywall shit right here. If we... <laughs> One of us starts a Patreon. You can get all the dirt if you pay uh-uh, for the dirt. Uh-uh, fuck them. They're not getting the dirt. You don't. You don't live it like me. <laughs> Die like I have. <laughs> get your heart Appreciate torn out. That. Be disappointed. Lose friends. It got it. Real shit happens, nigga. <laughs> like, I got news. I don't like because of comedy. We just don't like each other. We just don't. We don't have any. <laughs> we do not like each other. Like we. Just un- grown ass men unfollowing each other on social media because of fucking comedy. It's how petty <laughs> this shit makes you sometimes. You're like, man, in real life, I've never unfriended a person. It's ex girlfriends who I've seen get married and have children. I don't unfriend them because I don't care. But it's niggas yeah. who do the same shit as me. And if I see that motherfucker got a weekend at the funny stop, I'm mad as fuck. Like, who the fuck booked this bum ass? Oh, you get that in. He's still touching microphones with his bitch ass. He still, he let him hold mic still. Okay. See, they letting anybody in that motherfucker now. You know, no matter where they at, it could be anywhere. It could be the Cleveland Improv. Like, I'm an MC one night improv. What? Who the fuck let this motherfucker through? <laughs> like, this rat bastard. Still don't like people. It's people I, I never hated somebody as much as I have hated other comics. I've never had an enemy or somebody who I just did not like as much as I dislike some comics. And I don't have a problem saying, I mean that to the death of me. It's some comics. I haven't had drama like this except for comedy. I've never had so many white boys talk to me as if. <laughs> like, it's like, whoa, man. <laughs> I was started comedy. I was in my 20s. I wasn't a teenager. I'm, I was 27, 26 when I started this shit. I was already an adult. Yeah. Like, I'm no offense to niggas with roommates, but I didn't have them. It's <laughs> like, get the fuck out of my face. I'm not, I'm not your poor friend. <laughs> like, I'm not your friend like that. I don't need to sleep on your fucking couch. I, I got two couches on one floor. How about that, nigga? <laughs> I got a couch in my bedroom. Like, the f- <laughs> like, if you don't get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I would get so mad. I'm like, man, these comics. Ooh, I cannot come out. I see why you just got to stop coming open mics because you cannot be around them. Because I'll ask you a question. You'll think it's for conversation purposes. Really, they don't just get that email address. They just want to email somebody. You know, hey, I in reality, I don't go to open mics as much because um, because I'm involved in so much. That's that's what it comes down to. I, I love comedy, but uh, I am not a person that will ever be happy only doing uh comedy and stand-up comedy i gotta agree i agree with that one i think yeah once you learn that there's more to it than just the um the stand-up and sing for your supper you realize okay how else can i this can't be it (laughs) like how many spots do i have to do here at the Piggly Wiggly to get fucking a million dollars. Like, how how did Kevin Hart do this? He made how much? Damn, that's a lot of that's a lot of five minute sets. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, hey, I'd love to travel the country and selling out places, or if I even I would love to travel the country, getting paid feature spots at places and uh, all over. I like I would just take that, sure. But I'm still gonna want to do all sorts of other shit that I do. Yeah, because it's not it's not enough money. <laughs> like once you do it you're like 
Damn, this it, huh? That was because this was this was a hard one. Like you like, damn, this weekend was harder than uh harder than most. I had to come out here just a little further than that four hours I was used to driving. I got to get gas. I had to get a full tank twice. I had to rent a car. That's, Shit. Yeah. You know, you, you're at the house. I do all of this. A hundred to show is nice when you're at the house. Money. When you got to travel. The room, you you go so far. The room costs more if you didn't have it. Like if they didn't give you a room, you're like, man, why the fuck? I'm not about to pay for this room. I'm only getting a hundred dollars a show. Like before, it's like, oh, a (laughs) hundred. It changes. Like first, like, oh, a hundred dollars a show. Sign me up. Then you're like, only a hundred dollars a show. I'll pass. I'll stay right here. I keep my ass in Cleveland, man. I'm not about to go out the house for for two shows. (laughs) Two shows. I got to drive how far? Oh man, I'm I'm worth more than two hundred dollars on a night. <laughs> like I get. It. Oh yeah, somebody gonna yeah. love that shit. Somebody gonna he, he gonna appreciate oh, sure. it. I'm not gonna appreciate your fucking two hundred in a fucking four hour drive. Yeah, if With I Corona. Can, if, oh my Corona price. What you gonna leave the house? Oh Corona price. Yeah, it's oh, I'm a, not doing no. Sh- I, oh, I'm not doing nothing. If I can't drive myself, <laughs> like if I can't get there in my car, and I'm talking about my car right now. Like if I get in the car and the gas is on the E, well, I, I got the baby in the house. I can't fuck around. I ain't about to have this woman mad at me. She'd rather me give her <laughs> chlamydia than give her Corona right now. Like she'd be better off. She's like, you know what? You was a hoe and you, you backslid, but <laughs> I won't die from this. This hasn't killed anybody since probably the 1800s. This is not the worst thing you can do. But if I'm out here being Mr. Fucking Social Butterfly and I come back with Rona, <laughs> man, I endangered the whole family, the baby, the grandmothers. <laughs> I almost killed the whole fucking generation because I was out here socializing. I'm cool. Mm-mm. I'm not leaving out 200. What? Oh, yeah, two shows, one night. Nah, I'm cool. Do these shows generally go this long? Nah, this I mean, like, we gotta talk. We, I'm gonna talk to you at the. Uh, I'm gonna call you on my phone and tell you the rest because oh. we got some shit. I, I remember some shit. We've been around too long. I'm like, oh yeah, you were the first person I called. I thought that was the way you do it. You call people. I was. That's how old we are. We was calling a landline. Like, I didn't text you or send you a Facebook message. I called the bar to leave you a message, and you got the message. Think about how fucking I, old they. They. they somebody I wrote it down, message. and they wait. They had the patience and the give a fuck to tell you it wasn't this new shit where. Oh yeah, I forgot. They. She told you when you got there. Hey, a person called. I wrote it down with a fucking paper and pencil. I'm a goddamn adult. I delivered you the message. Take care of this. It would been it would been wonderful. Now people will try to email the bar over your head to try and get the gig. Now like I can host it if he don't want to host it. You know you mean host his show? <laughs> like you mean the show that he he started? He brought the show here. I didn't. We didn't do this. He just does this. He yeah. comes here and takes care of everything. But yes, Steve Guy, shout out to social medias. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, and I got I got a TikTok, John. I got a TikTok. Oh, man, so both of those are you. the Steve guy. My Instagram is the guy Steve. Uh, you know, I have a Facebook page, Steve guy. Also, just search Happy Hour with Steve guy anywhere. That's the big thing. Uh, it's a it's a podcast. It also is a YouTube series, and we're on Facebook. And uh, we have interviews with interesting people that have something to do with Cleveland in some form, whether they're from here or doing something cool in the area. And we have variety aspects with the two, like uh, your man John Bruton pops in from now 
every now and again with a, an angry take on something, and it's wonderful. And uh, yes, that's it. Cleveland follow comedy follow the Cleveland Comedy Festival. Yes, I'm Cleveland Comedy Festival. Throw, throw that shit out. Shit. That's pretty just... easy. CLE, yeah, CLE Comedy Fest uh, on everything, and it is cool because we're doing all sorts of. We got some YouTube series coming in 2021 from that, which will be cool. Aside from Happy Hour. Good shit. Is that enough to throw out? Yes. And I'm going to put it all, I'm putting it in the, in the caption too. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, thank you for being on the show. And we're going to gossip thank like schoolgirls while I'm driving home. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend's going to be uh, so mad at me because I was like, yeah, I don't know. This is probably be like. Oh, I told the same thing. I told her I'd be gone for an hour and a half, 90 minutes because. That's what I figured. It's like, you know what? Now it's 10 o'clock. Starbucks is closed. I'm supposed to bring Starbucks. Home. We're going to cut all this. This is a great show. <laughs> <I'm> on- <laughs> See Thank you for listening to Friday Late Show, hosted by John Bruton. Friday Late Show is recorded live at the Golden Ox Studio in Cleveland, Ohio.